Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me. Back with me as always, Super Producer Brandon Newman. Brandon, hola. What's going on, man? Hola, como esta? Bon dia. Bonjour. I mean, gracias. Brandon, back with us after his trip to officiate a wedding in Mexico. And clearly, I'm glad you didn't do it in Spanish. Mike, Michelle printed off so many things that I didn't need, but could have used like a list of sayings that I could have used. But I was always the guy that was just saying, oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I mean, gracias. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> just sounding like a gringo everywhere I, everywhere I went. But uh, oh, it's impressive. How'd the wedding go, though? Amazing, Mike. It was it was in paradise. Uh, Sayulita, if anyone wants to go, uh, I, I highly recommend it. Um 
yeah, it was just beautiful. It was like on a mountainside and there were fireworks and uh, shout out to, to John uh, Wong and Michelle Flowers, the, the two beautiful people that I was able to, to make whole um, in ceremony. They already got married in LA, in L.A. So like I said, it was just about the show and and I did well. I did well. Everyone was pleased. I puked about an hour before the show. Uh, before the wedding, excuse me, calling it a show. Uh, I mean, I about listen, an hour before like the you wedding. said, the wedding had already happened. It was a show, and you responded I mean, to the wedding the way I used to respond to before football games, which is ejecting everything in my stomach to feel like I was ready to play. <laughs> but I don't want to seem like I was nervous. I was sick from eating something I shouldn't have in Mexico. Uh, but it was all great, Mike. I, I, even afterwards, I think I got some people to the podcast. The people stopped me afterwards, like. Um, your voice was so calming, and uh, I really enjoyed that. Are, are you a performer? It's like, <laughs> well, actually, do a podcast. Why don't you go ahead and check it out here? Download, subscribe, rate, and review. <laughs> did you break out in a song at all? I didn't. Oh, that's so funny. They are actually theater. Well, at least Michelle Flowers is theater people, and she faked a Whitney Houston song like at the beginning of her vows. But let me just lay out to say the vows were amazing. They were both hilarious. Like John, uh, he started off and he got his script and he said, "It's Michelle, right?" Which is. A bar for her first line. I was mic'd up and had to cover my mic because I was screaming, laughing. You know how I can do sometimes. And then the, <laughs> the, uh, the whatever uh, Whitney Houston starts this song, like, the end. Yeah. Like she started speaking that and, like, and started slowly singing. And then she said, No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I was like, yes. Uh, but I really had to get out of the way. It was just they were they were the entertainment, um, and uh, yeah, it was a great time. Thank you for asking. That's just knowing your teammates and being a, you're yes. there to be a point guard as the efficient. You are not the main. You don't have main character energy. You are not no. the star of the team. You are there to be a facilitator. And it sounds like you nailed that. You said you had people coming up asking you to marry them after. So that's a marker of success in my book. Yes, I appreciate it. And it was it was like at uh, Notre Dame. Don't you know people try to get the Basilica booked before they even found their other oh. partner? But these people weren't even in, in relationships, and they were asking me to, to help them get married later on in life. So I, I appreciate it. It was, it was a good confidence boost, and I was like, you know what? Damn right I'm a performer. At one point in time, I was like, actually, I do stand-up. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, no lies detected, but we're glad you took the time to pub the podcast. Uh, we of got a great course. show for you guys today. Speaking of pubbing the podcast, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Just like those people at the wedding, leave us a five-star uh, rating and a review, just like you would for Brandon Newman and the job that he did officiating that wedding. And also make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab on there. We got a great show for you guys today. Dallas Braden from ba Baseball is Dead is going to stop by with us. He is out. He is obviously a former major league pitcher for anyone that wasn't aware. Also works as a part of the broadcast for the Oakland A's. And as we'll talk to him about, is getting to help out a little bit on the coaching front this year too. So he's out in Arizona at spring training with them. Really exciting perspective with him on how players are digesting the pitch clock, the shift ban, all the other changes that are going on in major league baseball right now. Mike. I was desperately looking for a Black History Month fact to, to try to squeeze in for the day, and I couldn't because yesterday, in 1874, baseball was played for the first time in England, 
at Lord's Cricket's grounds. I, I just feel like that's very serendipitous today to have Dallas Braden on. That is very serendipitous. So, listen, the universe works in mysterious ways and bends to make sure that we give you guys the guests that you need. Um, So, very excited to talk to Dallas about that on this historic day. We're also going to talk a little bit about the combine that is getting started this week in Indianapolis for the NFL. Some news about what the Bears intend to do. But, uh, Brandon, you're back. It feels only right that, unfortunately, we start off with this news. LeBron James, fresh off a win that me and Dad were talking about yesterday on the pod against the Dallas Mavericks, a game in which we saw him go down with a foot injury, and you saw LeBron on the court mouthing, I heard something pop. We got the report on Monday from Adrian Wojnarowski that LeBron James is feared to be out several weeks with a right foot injury. He's undergoing further testing to learn the extent of the injury from that game, but uh, this was all coming up after it was announced he would miss the game against the Grizzlies coming up tonight. Uh, Brandon, don't need to sugarcoat this. This is hell, right? This is exactly what everybody feared when we started to let the Lakers back in after what looked like a really strong performance after they shook things up around the trade deadline. It's hell for all of the LeBron James Lakers fans. Definitely hell for them. What? Why are you looking at me like that? Why is it not hell for Lakers fans overall for their team to now be worse? I don't want to be the silver linings playbook guy for the future of this franchise. But what is it? Eight weeks left in the regular season uh, for for starters before we get to the actual playoffs. 23 games. Yes. Okay. Yes. 23 games. I think that obviously D'Angelo Russell's coming, uh, coming back. Anthony Davis has proven that he is an MVP caliber player in a stretch of time. I love this new roster that the Lakers have, obviously with LeBron James in the lineup, but in general period, since the Russell Westbrook trade and everything they've done to the trade deadline, I think there may be something to the Lakers being able to benefit from learning how to win without LeBron James in a stretch where the games matter. And Antonio Davis... Antonio Davis, Anthony Davis, and D'Angelo Russell. You see what I did there? Learning how to lead this team when LeBron James can't. Like, I think there's something to – obviously, LeBron James is still a top-10 player. He's still one of the best players, averaging 26 uh, points a game. And uh, the Lakers are really shit without him historically. I think, what was it, they're 36 and – I pulled the actual stat. Yeah, they're 36-62 and 62, uh, since LeBron got to Los Angeles when he has not been on the court, including 5-9 and nine this season without LeBron James. Yes, I, and honestly, after the great comeback against the uh, uh, Dallas Mavericks, you and your dad talked about it yesterday, I was really looking for the Lakers to be a team even better than a play-in team going into the playoffs. Now, less emotional about it because I wasn't tied into sports love of the weekend and I just kind of was like oh I'm in a happy mood what's the, what's the silver lining here I do think that they are able to play themselves into a playoff uh, play-in game still and with that a, a healthy rested LeBron James not coming off of his uh, not nagging injury like he was when he scored his 26 points against the Dallas Mavericks I think this could be good for the Lakers. I, I know it's terrible for seeding and actual chance of uh, winning the championship this year, but I think this makes the Lakers a better team next year. Yeah, I just think it's all bad right now, man. Like, 
this is a team that was starting to trend. Like at this point, coming off that game, they were within a game of the 10 spot in the West. They were only two and a half games behind Dallas for the sixth seed. And now it just seems like I can't trust them to get beyond that point. This was looking like a team where the standard around there is making the playoffs, no ifs, ands, or buts. And every year you miss that with an aging LeBron James is lessening and lessening your chances of it happening on the top end ever again. So I I think this is a team now that probably is on track to miss the playoffs because outside of LeBron James, they've been too inconsistent. Injury was the one thing we were all worried about, not only with LeBron James, but with Anthony Davis, who's also dealt with that. You mentioned D'Angelo Russell. So I can't have any confidence that this is a postseason basketball team if LeBron is missing extended time. And right now, because post-All-Star game is a much shorter track to deal with, Les LeBron called it 23 of the most important games of his career, which is hyperbole, but I can understand wanting to set that tempo for the rest of the team. If he's out for half of those games, they're not making the postseason. You don't believe they make, you don't like that? No. Okay. No, I would say this. You're right. If they're not healthy, if this team is healthy, even without, if the the team is healthy without LeBron, then I will say, if LeBron James is not healthy for half of those games, they're not making the postseason. I'll say it like that. The rest of the team can be healthy, and I do not think they are a playoff basketball team without him. We'll see. Because that playing game matters, Mike. And if you're a playing team, that means you're a playoff team. And the oh. West is wide open. We're still waiting for Kevin Durant to come out and show that he's going to take this, the Suns above the Sun and and uh, make them the, the proverbial favorite right now. But I... I until I see that, the the West is still pretty wide open. I agree that the West is wide open. I just, all of the things you described are hopeful, but they're not anything we've seen evidence of so far this season. And so betting on a bunch of things that haven't happened to happen in a 23-game sample where your star isn't out there and the leader of the team isn't out there isn't something that I'm comfortable with. But I, I, I maybe am I just looking in glass half empty. No, and you're being realistic, but realistically, we haven't seen this team. Like this team, this Lakers team just got together. And obviously, they won't have LeBron, so it's it's going to be even worse. But we don't know what this team can do together yet. And they were running four of the last five with LeBron James in the, in the lineup. Obviously, that's going to take a hit. But I still think that they are better than what people are, are giving to them. Like these names that they got on the roster are names for a reason. I'll say this to your point about the good that could come out of this. If there was any time for Anthony Davis to actually step up and be the guy that coming off the bubble championship, this team wanted him to be now would be a pretty good time for that. And if he can't pull that off, then you have reason to doubt whether it'll ever be a team that Anthony Davis can make as his team. So this is a big prove it stretch for him, but putting that kind of faith in one center that's out there without the chief distributor of the team is a tall order. But Anthony Davis was talked about for so long in the top five as talented players in the NBA. And it's time for that to, if you're going to, and again, 
all of this conversation is predicated on what the time frame looks like for LeBron James. Again, feared to be out several weeks. How many is several? Several could be three. Several could be double that. We don't know. And so it's all going to be predicated on that. If it's on the shorter end, can you plug the holes in the side of the ship long enough to make this thing happen if you're the Lakers? And like you said, get yourself into what would be a hyper-competitive play-in this year. I have severe doubts about that, but... It is a very chaotic West right now. The Dallas Mavericks that we talked about are having issues making it work in the early going with Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic in that backcourt. So there's the Warriors, more volatility the, the, on that side. I mean, the Warriors need to get healthy as well. Like, I, I it's fun to look at the Lakers and, and, and shake your finger at them, but, like, with Vanderbilt and, and Rui and, and Mo Bamba, I just feel like there's enough – this should give them the energy to be like, okay, let's do this for us. Let's go out there and prove to the NBA the type of players that we are without LeBron James in the roster or in the lineup. And I did hear them talking. I think it was Doris Burke and um, and Mark Jones on the call. I, I forget if it was them or not, but whoever was on the call for that Dallas and Lakers game said that this young Lakers team had remarked in playing because they didn't want to let LeBron James down. A lot mm. of the names that you mentioned are on the younger end, and so that's a guy. They know the standard in that building, and that might be another motivating factor. We'll see because motivation at this level is right. It's what you make of it. It's about going out there and executing, but this does also kind of present the bigger, larger mortality questions of, LeBron James is 38 years old, and this is year 20, and these things, while he thought originally it happened when he stepped on somebody, replay showed it was a non-contact injury, those are going to keep popping up no matter how good job you do of taking care of your body when you're that old. Like, I joke, I got a foam roll to go and get on the elliptical at the gym. I got a foam roll before I go to an Orange Theory class with a bunch of soccer parents that are in there in the middle of the afternoon on a weekend. And I'm not going out and being expected to play high-level basketball. So the margin for error continues to get thinner and thinner as we approach the end of LeBron James' career here. And every opportunity that you miss on this stage becomes more and more impactful at this juncture for the Lakers. Who Now, I mean, if you are nearing the end of that window, you got serious questions about what your franchise is going into the future based on the resources that you have. I don't want to just keep talking about the Lakers all day long, but Mike, the baton has to be handed over at some point in time. He wanted to hand the baton over. There was no one to hand it to. I know, and I think I think now, injuries aside, I think now is the time to start taking that conversation realistically and for these this team to look at themselves and, and not make it a, a media narrative play. It's like, okay, what are we going to do when there is no LeBron James here? Like Kobe left, there was hope in drafting Lonzo Ball. We we found out that that was a bust, but hope gets you a long way. Like hope gives you advertising dollars. Hope is planning. Like you get hope from planning and doing a good job putting this together. And so we'll see what the Lakers do on that front. But Brandon, you said the D word, so it's time to talk about it. The NFL Draft is getting closer and closer. And we've got the Combine coming in this week. We also have the report that came up from Adam Schefter the other day that Chicago Bears have been approached by multiple teams about trading the number one pick in this year's draft. And Chicago is said to be, quote, leaning towards moving the pick, some sources told ESPN. 
Since the merger in 1967, the number one pick's been traded 12 times before the start of the draft, and it last happened in 2016 when the Rams went from 15-1 to before they selected Jared Goff with that first overall pick. So, Brandon, this to me is finally where this conversation should have been. I understand the games of cat and mouse that go along during draft season, all the lying and smoke screens that go up, but the notion that the Bears were going to trade Justin Fields, recoup picks there, and then draft one of these quarterbacks out of this draft class this year felt a bit on the insane side to me, considering the conversation we're getting ready to start having about how difficult an evaluation because of size, productivity, all the other things, this quarterback class is in particular. Yeah, I mean, the Chicago Bears are really sitting pretty. Like, a lot of franchises that have had the type of luck that the Chicago Bears have had at quarterback or in, as in win-loss column in the last 10 to 20 years wish they could be where the Chicago Bears sit right now. There's Having Justin Fields there is perfect, but I also think Kevin Warren and Poole are a little bit more conservative than people are giving them credit for. Therefore, why in the hell would they ever actually move Justin Fields? But like you said, this is them kind of feeling things out and seeing where the, where the draft board is and, where, and who wants to bite. Exactly. And so now I think we can begin the real conversation and that'll be the exciting part we know all of the conversations that are going to happen coming up this weekend at the scouting combine about who might trade up into that spot as we go along here you look at the teams behind them that are going to be in the quarterback need conversation certainly the houston texans that because of that wacky game in week 17 or 18 i forget what it was where the bears ended up with the number one overall pick houston's going to be in that conversation the indianapolis colts are going to be in that conversation a little further down the way the carolina panthers are also a team that are being mocked quarterback in a bunch of these drafts and so you're going to have suitors it's going to allow you to move back and you won't have to move back far and it'll still put you in play in in position for a Jalen Carter, a Will Anderson, any of the number of high-end defensive prospects that are near the top of this draft that you can sure up on what you need in Chicago, right? You need playmakers on that defense to start to plant your flag around after you harvested the farm this year, tanking towards this number one overall pick. And so now we can start to have the conversation of who's got the best resources to put together for a package like that? Who should the Bears be targeting at the top of the draft? And then in free agency, all that stuff that's going to start to come up now that I think hopefully we've moved on from that idea of trying to at least have it out there that you were going to move on from Justin Fields. How much a first-round draft pick is worth for these teams that need it is the game, is the absolute game. I'm very interested in seeing what is given up to to get where the Chicago Bears are. It's going to be exciting, and it's so exciting this year because we not only have really good quarterbacks at the top of the draft, but we have really compelling arguments about who to take and when because of Mm. size that's being presented, right? All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? 
They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. We're getting into combine week now, which is a really complicated exercise that I have a lot of really complicated feelings about. So we had the announcement yesterday that C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, Will Levis from Kentucky, and Anthony Richardson are all going to throw at the Combine on Saturday. So for anyone that's unaware, the Combine gets going, I believe, actually, yesterday and today. People getting out there, the medical checkups that go on, some of the interviews that begin with teams and players, those things happening early in the week before we get to March 2nd, which I think is what, Thursday or Friday? Uh, Thursday. Yes. So March 2nd is Thursday. That's when all of the on-field drills that are televised start there. D-linemen and linebackers start off that day. DBs and kickers, special teamers the next day, and then on and on we go. But getting out there and having this news that, all right, those guys are going to throw. Bryce Young is going to wait for his pro day. Apparently, he's been recovering uh, from some sort of uh, shoulder injury at the end of the season there. He's going to go there and do the medical evals and the measurements. Um, But um, of that group, I think Richardson is going to do testing measurements and participate in drills. They don't know if Stroud or Levis are going to do it. And it's going to be a huge conversation because we all expect Bryce Young is probably going to be 5'10 and maybe a buck 90 if he's lucky like maybe they've been able through the pre-draft process to get him up near 200 pounds he's going to be small and that's the thing that's going to scare him because when you put on the tape if we're talking strictly how good of a football player is dude he's the best quarterback of this class he's one of the most fun quarterbacks I've watched in a while and the things he did for Alabama especially this last year when all the wide receiver uh, talent migrated off that team and Jameer Gibbs your running back was your best offense the option you had to make offense out of more off than not Bryce Young did about five things a game that I just had to stop and go holy shit at and watch over and over again he is a really spectacular player but he's about 510 buck 90 getting ready to go into a league where we see durability at quarterback especially when you're going to a shit team that's probably not going to be able to block for you very well is a Mm. major concern and so that and how that gets addressed, how he talks about that with teams. C.J. Stroud, who played like the number one pick in the game that they lost to Georgia in the college football playoff, looked like a guy in that game. Will Levis has issues with consistency and accuracy. Anthony Richardson's probably one of the most polarizing guys in this draft. It's all going to make this upcoming season really fun, and this is our first look at these guys. So I'm excited to watch the Combine, Brandon, even if I also delight when top prospects tell the combine to kick rocks. Like, I don't know if you saw Jalen Carter said that he is not going to be doing any of the on-field workouts. He'll do the medical stuff and do the meetings, but you can see him do those drills at his pro day coming up later this spring at Georgia. Yes. I mean, I love anyone who has that amount of power, Mike. Uh, Obviously we want to do the side-by-sides. There's nothing like actually getting that time at the combine, but it could hurt him. But 
not not a prospect like him. No, and that's my thing. Now, this has nothing to do with the fact that I wasn't invited to the Combine. I have no beef about that. I have no qualms about that. I understood where I was in the pecking order as a player. Didn't matter. respect the process and the decision makers of the process. I mean, I don't have to because that decision-making process, quite honestly, needs to be reviewed and is often pretty flawed because we had teammates that were inexplicably left out and others inexplicably chosen all the time. So process is something that we can talk about at some point, but you never hear good things about the combine experience from the guys that actually go through it, right? We had tons of friends that go through it, and that shit sounds miserable because the whole thing is designed to be miserable. They do that on purpose because they can, because everything for these NFL evaluators, they wanna make into a test to try and find out a little bit more because they're used to having all of this control over the situation, right? At its core, this was an event to make the job easier for these decision makers. Hey, we don't wanna go out to all these pro days and have to have that be the basis of our analysis, or we don't wanna have to take the extra steps with the tape we've got. We wanna be able to get a nice, neat side-by-side in Indianapolis so we can all fly in there and go to St. Elmo's and get drunk in between and then go and check all this out and have a lot of these numbers so we can overanalyze and overthink this process. It's there to make the job of management easier. It ends up benefiting some players. There are guys that make money at this week every year, and I love that for them. But it is not a process that is there inherently to make life easier, convenient for the players. You're woken up early with very little sleep. You're given a lot less time than you trained for to be able to warm up for things. It's why we watch guys pop pecs at the bench press every year Mm -hmm. because you're not given adequate time to warm up with all that stuff. And we've seen years of problematic questions offered up in these meetings behind closed doors that the NFL's constantly had to address. I mean, we've heard Demora Smith from the NFLPA say they need to do away with the combine because it's archaic and dehumanizing. So that's the level of vitriol this thing gets from the player's side often. Yes, but also I want to highlight the fact that all of this negativity that comes around the draft is all stuff that they keep off camera. Like this isn't like all the things that we get a chance to salivate at and like the, the tests and the jumps and all the things like that. That's not the part that is really, you know, driving these players to say these things about it. Like, like you said, we've had friends that have gone through the process. We had a friend who was injured going through the process, and he told me that after the first day of evals, his knee was bothering him worse than when he got there because of the 32 teams that had to jerk and, and shake and move and, and, and grab at it and claw at it. And, like, that's the type of stuff – that is going on with people's brains. <laughs> That's the type of stuff that people go on. Like any any ailment that you had in high school is getting brought up and they're starting to, to jiggle with that. That ankle that you twisted at a spring game your sophomore year of high school. So, yes, it, it is. But at the same time, Mike, there's a little bit to the kicking of the tires before you buy the car that I understand. But... That's oh, the that's I, the the weird part we get into with this. I understand the utility of the combine. Like I had this argument with my dad a lot when we were doing the morning show because he calls it the underwear Olympics and thinks the whole exercise is pretty dumb because you've got <laughs> tape on these guys. You've got things that you can watch. You've got team personnel right. you can ask about. You've got plenty of ways to get information and actual football and. and Post-pandemic, that pandemic draft year where there was no combine and you couldn't be in person in a lot of this stuff, a draft still happened. Players still got picked. 
Guys yeah. that opted out that season who didn't have that extra year of film still went high. Jamar Chase's of the world, the unique talents at the top of the draft. And we realized, huh, there might be other ways to gather this information. There might be better, smarter ways that just require a little bit more effort than all getting to show up in Indy and have your run of this because this is the way that we've always done things at the meat market. I understand information is helpful when making these decisions. But also on the other side, because this has been a system where once you get post-draft, we get a lot of these things. And this is my chief discomfort with it is the people that want to frame your willingness to participate in this process as an indictment of you as a competitor. Because it inevitably pops up during these weeks when someone like a Jalen Carter or one of these quarterbacks says, hey, I'm not going to throw at the combine. I'm going to do throw pro day with my teammates. I'm going to do it in the comfortable environment. And we immediately have some people step up to the mic traditionally and say, well, we want to see a guy that's able to go out there and compete. And do- my brother in Christ, they played a whole game, a whole slate whole of games season. this fall. Where you can find yeah. that out. There's a whole building full of people that I'd imagine if you've worked hard to maintain the relationships will probably tell you the closest thing to the truth about that player. Those are things you should be able to ascertain elsewhere because for Jalen Carter, what the fuck are we going to learn about him doing a broad jump or running a 40? Watch him go manhandle other 18 to 23-year-olds every Saturday since he stepped on campus at Georgia. Watch the freak show ability he puts on display play in and play out. You know he's in a conversation for the number one overall pick. What is he going to do there to help himself? Not shit. So he realizes, I don't have to play their game. And I love when players are able to flip that on their head because so much of this process, like a lot of other things around football, are designed to make you feel like if you don't do exactly what we tell you to do, yeah, might affect you on the other side of it. And the bottom line is for a lot of these guys, the guys at the top, again, guys in the middle towards the back end, absolutely can help themselves. You flash on one thing, you've got one great ability that translates really well in testing, and all of a sudden people go back and look at your tape, and all of a sudden people go back and check out something else. But for the guys on the high end, you don't have to play their game. They need you way more than you need them. Because if the team with the second overall pick is going to say, well, we didn't get this guy short shuttle time, and so we can't feel good about drafting him, they're probably idiots. And someone below them is going to draft you and pay you millions of dollars to be on a team that understands the things that are important versus the things that aren't. You can get the, I get it. They're going to go through the interviews. They're going to go through the medical. The rest of that stuff is just control for control's sake at certain times when people want to frame it as your willingness to compete or not. I hear you, Mike, but the the argument you're making is for the top 2% of prospects that walk into every draft every year. Oh, yeah, is I get it. Is that fair to say? 100%, oh, I, 100% acknowledge that not everybody can do that, but I still, as someone who thinks that at times people just do things a certain way because that's the way it's always been done and it's easiest for them, delight in the fact that there are some people that can buck that trend and take the time to use their power in this process. For the rest of us that will never be able to do that, I enjoy when it is done and there's nothing that the people in power can do about it. Maybe that's, again, I'm always going to approach this from the player perspective. I'm always going to, and I wasn't a guy that had a problem with authority, but I have a problem with doing things one way just because it's always been done when there's probably better ways out there that can meet players closer to halfway. Yeah, Mike, it's it's like the, the coaches that say they like to see their players go out there and compete. And I, this is where I push back a little bit because it's 
the Jalen Carters of the world. It's not just the 18-year-olds that are going to be sitting on their couch watching them play in three years. It's the, it's the ones that have an option to, to go to the NFL as well. And the concept is competing against those people, but you're not really competing against, against those people. You're just doing the same drills at the same time as the other people are, are doing the drills. Um, but there is something to the NFL executives of the world and the coaches of the world and the scouts of the world just trying to set the players up so they can get them off of their board, right? It's like the the guy at the roulette table is like, well, I, I want somebody who's who's aggressive. Put all your money on on this number. It's like, okay, but how about let's be smart instead of being aggressive for with the with my future uh, in my in, in my future earnings potential for this league. Yeah, and I think that's what it is. I would just like to see a smarter process. If we can examine this and say, hey, there are parts of this that we can do better. There are parts of this that no longer have the same utility they once did because of other stuff that we have. That would be my hope for this. That being said, I I make no bones about it. I watch it every year. It's going to be on. I love seeing the people that are there performing and hoping that someone flashes enough to make themselves some money. I'm always rooting for guys, however they can in the process, to be able to go out there and grab more of the money that's available to all of them. So I don't begrudge anyone that, but I would like to see a process that does make life a little bit less shitty for the players having to go through that weekend, getting ready for their pro days. But what, Brandon? Can you name one player that you loved when they made money for themselves in the draft, but the the other end wasn't as strong? Like the actual playing didn't necessarily match up as well? Because when Don Terry Poe ran that 40, Mike, <laughs> I felt liberated. I felt not that his not that his career wasn't is or you know what it could have been, but a three hundred and forty plus pound man running a sub five forty just breathed life into me. And that's one of the reasons I watched the combine. Yeah, Don Terry Don Terry Poe is a great dude too. He trained out at the Exos facility in Arizona, what I where I was years after that combine performance. And tell you what, it's always fun seeing guys like that in person because a lot of times, especially for the bigger guys, it ain't just like funny testing numbers. Like watching Don Terry Poe move in person, mm. the dude was smooth as hell. A guy like Teron Armstead, who was coming out of um, Arkansas Pine Bluff and was a third-round yes. pick by the Saints, who ran a blazing 40 time, and then I got to New Orleans in the 2014 offseason, and I remember we're running gassers inside the indoor facility there. And Teron is not even like trying to open it up and is 20 yards ahead of every other offensive lineman on that team. Like we cannot keep up pace with that guy because he was just built at a different speed than a lot of these guys. Like he was one. I remember just because I got to see it in person and I got to see the way athletically he went out and in training camp when we had joint practice with the Patriots, Chandler Jones was there at the time and put the cuffs on Chandler Jones Watched him do that, and it's like, oh, this all translated. Like, these fun, cool numbers you would have seen on the tape for Teron Armstead. It was just against competition that, you know, you needed to do a little bit more math in your head on about how that would translate. So, uh, yeah, it it is no doubt an exciting time to check a lot of these guys out. Good luck to everyone going out there this week. Like, obviously, again, go get that money. It's there for you. 
Want to see that for you. Uh, by the way, I was scrolling to see it and make sure you mentioned Combine Freaks that I remember one of the first ones where it didn't necessarily go as well on the other side. Bruce Campbell, Connecticut's very own. I watched him play at Xavier High School in Connecticut. They beat our ass Bruce in the playoffs Campbell. my freshman year, and he was one of the first guys to really go Combine Freak 40 time for the offensive line. He ended up getting drafted in the fourth round by the Raiders. Um, you know, it didn't end up sticking around um, – I think all that long. Let's see on his pro football reference page how long it says he uh, – yeah, he played three years in Oakland and then never stuck anywhere else, but he was an absolute mutant. I remember I saw him at a workout we were both at for the Seahawks a couple of years later, and super nice dude, awesome guy. Like, we you know caught up on the Connecticut vibe, but God damn in heaven, he was big as shit. I remember that name, and I, I, the, I love the very beginning of Combine Freak, especially for the big guys, because it used to be only like, oh, what, how many reps to the two twenty five, and then, then we start showing up in the forty time. Bro, I was gonna say, and then Jordan Davis happened last year, and now it sounds Ooh. like. By the way, Combine Freak to keep an eye on for this week. Um, I saw them talking about, um, Iowa defensive tackle. No, they were talking about Darnell Washington, the tight end out of Georgia. So a lot of people think of the other tight end on Georgia's team that won the Mackey this last year. But Darnell Washington is built like a giant. 6'7", probably going to weigh in like 272. And they said there's a chance he runs in the 4'6s in the 40, which if he does, someone's probably going to take that dude in the back end of the first round because though it... It would be the Jordan Davis-like performance of the Combine this year if he goes there and actually runs well because he is so big, it makes you think that the video you're watching is broken. So we'll be all over Combine week as it keeps going here and get a chance to talk about that. Uh, Brandon, we're going to take a quick break and actually give the people something good on the other side, an interview with our friend, Baseball is Dead podcast co-host and former Major League pitcher Dallas Braden. Next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, very excited to talk to one of our DraftKings brethren here. You guys may know him as a former Major League pitcher, the co-host of Baseball is Dead, wherever you get your podcasts, along with Jared Carabas. Uh, but right now, we also get to add another title. What's going on, Coach? How we doing? <laughs> Gojo, hey, thanks for having me, first of all, man. Um, 
Yeah, a little coach, if you will. No, that's uh, that, that just sounds weird and foreign coming off the tongue. Um, but yeah, out here in spring training, out here in Arizona, uh, taking taking camp in. I'll be out here for a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, as you said, I've, I'm out here. I guess you could call it coaching. I'm, you know, I'm more roving, roaming, uh, being present. I'm sure by the end of it, taking up space and in the way. Uh, but but you know how it goes, man. Anytime you have the opportunity to to share just a little bit of what it is that you've learned along the way, if you think that that can help make an impact, if other people think that what you know can make an impact, uh, I would always feel like it's your job or it's your responsibility to impart whatever two minutes of wisdom you might have on somebody who's looking to get where you may have been. Because I, I think it is, as we are a part of a brotherhood, a sisterhood, just the the family that is sport, you want to see the people behind you coming up, make the sport better, do better than you did, and continue to grow the game you love so much. So with an opportunity to do that, I I, I jumped at it. Yeah, it's, it's awesome because you have seen the game from a lot of vantage points as a player, as someone not only talking about it on the podcast, but broadcasting for the A's as well. So you've seen all kind of around it. And I know this is a player that uh, the question that I got asked when I finished up playing in college, my dad got asked when he finished playing up in pros is, do you want to get into coaching? Was that something that you always knew, hey, I wanted to maybe in some form or fashion find my way to? Yes. Um, and it wasn't something that I ever thought was going to be readily available to me or present itself. And, and, and it's not to say that, you know, me being here now is just a precursor to me joining a field staff next year. Like that's, this is me understanding the player development side of things and essentially getting that, you know, elementary education, laying that foundation. But I, I think when you're passionate about something, uh, you gravitate towards learning more about it and understanding that you're never going to know all of it and you just want to know more. And, and that's where I find myself and have found myself with this game of baseball. So it was something that was on my radar, never knew when it was going to be something I pinpointed or really honed in on. Um, but again, just the opportunity to be around the game more and share what I've learned, that's really exciting. And, and I think there's a... There's an essence of fulfillment there that I think we're all after in whatever area of life it might be. If you feel like you're waking up and you're making a difference, it doesn't matter what it is you're doing. You know, like I, I've, I've always said, if I had the ability to dig a ditch the way I had the ability to throw a changeup, buddy, let me tell you, you'd have the clearest canals and the clearest irrigation to lay in that, that this world has ever seen. Like you would take pride in doing that. And so it's just, yeah, I, I want to know that whatever it is I've learned, if someone's asking the questions, I have an answer for them. And I want to, I, I just want to help somebody get better. It's awesome. There's no substitute for putting your hand in the pile and also getting to help out a team atmosphere like that. So digging ditches or throwing pitches, uh, Dallas Braden's got you covered. And you came in at a spring where extra instruction may be a bit required. We've got all the new hey, rules going into place. The pitch clock has been the big story coming off this weekend in spring training. So what has the approach and conversation been like for you and pitchers and really everyone digesting that new rule in particular? 
Well, first of all, there's a group of guys who are accustomed to this, who are used to this, this being implemented in the minor leagues. It's not completely foreign to them. It's this, you know, it's the savvier vets, the saltier vets that are a little more gristled that you're going to kind of have to ease into something like this. And I, I think what it's going to do is sort of serve as that shock collar and remind guys that, hey, this is about having a game plan. This is about being prepared. And this is about strapping it on and getting after it in a, in a timely fashion. And we talk about creating rhythm on the mound so often. And we talk about trying to keep game flow at a certain pace because the guys behind us are relying on us to make pitches, to allow them to create a flow, to get used to the rhythm you're laying down for them. That's how plays behind you get made. That's how guys lay out backhand, pop up, throw a dime across the diamond because they're anticipating stuff like that they want the ball and you're giving them that vibe you're giving them that rhythm to dance to out there so now there's a visual for you to remind you hey guy make sure you're locked in make sure you're ready to go and there's also conversation about strategically how to go about this because if I need a little breather, can my catcher hold on to the ball just a hair longer mm. to give me a little bit? Well, they're going to tell the catcher, hey, buddy, I see what you're doing here. I'm privy to you stalling here. Let's get it going. So the conversation, I think, initially is more of a reminder of how important it is for our pitchers to have a game plan and be ready to go out there and execute that game plan. And combine that with the feel of the game itself and your homework and we should not be out there taking 25, 30 seconds in between pitches. So I think for the guys who are used to it, it's nothing new. The vets, look, these are these are elite athletes. What do elite athletes do? They adjust, and they adjust better than anybody else on the planet. And that's, that's, that's what they're going to do. But the strategy around it, that's going to be interesting to watch. It has been overall, I think, really well received. Like, you haven't heard players griping about this. You've heard a lot of great conversation about just what you described and also different guys weighing in on who they think has the early advantage. I saw Max Scherzer saying he loves because it allows pitchers to kind of dictate the pace. Aaron mm. Judge said it's on the hitting side. He really liked the rhythm and allowed. Do you think there's one side or another that it favors in the early going here? I I would hate See, like, uh, the, the mental warrior in me wants to tell you that there's no difference here. It's all about how you're processing this. What is your mentality? And for me, I took a hunter's mentality out there with me. So if you're telling me there's a clock now, well, guess what? I'm going to dictate that clock. I'm going to be on the mound, and I'm going to be ready to go. Give you an example. We talk about, with men on base, holding the baseball and disrupting the timing of the runner so he can't advance and steal second or third. And you're also... Uh, can, <clears throat> combined, you are disrupting the timing of the hitter as well. How do you do that? You hold the ball at times, and at times you get it and go. So you're disrupting those two times, right? Well, if I'm on the clock, I might not have a lot of time to hold the ball unless I'm on the mound with the ball in my hound, locked and loaded, ready to deliver, and now I'm watching. Nine, eight, seven, six. Five. Now I can make you count along with me. And now who's uncomfortable? You are, not me. I've got the game plan. I'm setting the speed limit. I am dictating the tone of this game. So it's all about whether or not your glass is half full or half empty. Are you hunting or are you being hunted? It's uh, the million dollar question, but it's so far it does seem like 
I've heard a lot more comments of people taking the hunter's mentality and doing. I think there's pride that comes with every athlete that says, I can go out through my work and my preparation and dictate how this is going to go and respond to these rules. From a big picture standpoint, though, if you're going to zoom out from not just the player standpoint and say for the game, because what we saw over the weekend that made headlines was a game ending on a called strike there because of a pitch clock violation. How worried are you that that might show up in a big moment somewhere for baseball and all of a sudden dominate conversation the way we saw a penalty that ended the Super Bowl, quite frankly, just dominate conversation coming off that last game? Well, I mean, you know, in the Super Bowl, as far as I'm concerned, a penalty was called and it's unfortunate that a penalty occurred but a penalty was committed and a penalty got called and i think that's kind of how rules go right if they're broken you're supposed to acknowledge that um but anyway i cashed out sorry about it um (laughs) (laughs) what but but uh the, the the whole the whole idea of understanding the rules and trying to find a loophole or trying to figure out a way to bend them to your advantage or to, you know, that that's all part of any sort of competition. But, but I think ultimately right now, as far as the pitcher's perspective goes, I think it's advantage pitcher because they can get on the mound. They can get ready to run. Mike, we just had an at bat start, start with a one, one count, not a single pitch was thrown and the count was one, one. Why? Because the hitter was not in the box, engaged and ready to rock, and the pitcher was not ready. So you're going to see this kind of stuff. I would absolutely hate to see a moment or like a ticket ready to get punched to October, and that happens. That's brutal. But that leads us back to the conversation we're having about these athletes adjusting. I'd like to think that if you know it's not cutting time and you've got to go, you got to make a pitch, you're not going to let your actual clock, your literal clock run out on you. Well, and I'm always curious because this is new in a lot of cases for umpires who are going to have to be the ones in charge of all this. And every year, a lot of sports go in with new added points of emphasis, and they're going to be hard on them right now. I'm sure in spring training, they're going to, hey, we're going to err on the side of calling everything by the letter of the law. And then once you get to the regular season, I do wonder if there's a little bit more wiggle room, if there's a little bit more grace, because you don't necessarily, if you're the umpire now, this comes up plenty, but don't want to be the story. Well, think about this too. Always remember that in an effort to try to limit human element, you are involving human. Who do you think you think the clock just starts on its own up there? No, that's a human being that's starting the clock up there. So I was really curious to watch and see because there is protocol 30 seconds in between at bats. That's how much time you have. So there's moments where, Hey, say on a backswing, a foul ball catcher gets hit with the bat, right? Mm. Maybe the clock operator doesn't see that and starts it go. And, and now you've got to call time and there's a bunch going on there, but it's all about the feel of the timekeeper and whether or not they're paying attention to the game. And I, and today we had four, four infractions in today's game alone. And they didn't come in huge pivotal parts of the game. Granted it's spring training. I don't know that those necessarily exist, but it's still, you're trying to keep track and figure out where you're at. And are you, are you ratcheting it up now? And are you operating within the confines of the game, the construct of the game now? And I mean, it's, (laughs) I could you imagine? Could you imagine what this world would look? What the baseball world would look like should October fall on a strike three that never gets thrown? It it's gonna burn. 
do you want to do you want to be that you want to be that umpire making that call you want to be the guy running out there like it's i i mean and i've talked to guys and also as humans they they are i i try not to tell people that they're too human but umpires matter too they're people too and i just the responsibility that these guys have on their plate over the last five years has grown exponentially man they were here to call ball strike safe out fair foul they're batting out of order and now you've got mound visits limits pitch clocks like it's just there's a whole lot going on man it it is there's a ton so it's great that you remind people the human element of this is going to be something to monitor early on but it is human beings trying to do their best some of the other rule changes you mentioned, the shift being banned going into this mm. year, the larger bases, haven't really heard as much about that just because of the story of the weekend, but how's that been a factor so far? Well, the shift, uh, actually, one of the infractions today was a shift infraction. The infielder started with his feet half on the grass, half on the dirt. Nope, can't happen. That's a ball. No pitch. Um, so the the... the Oh man, the adjustments are, they're going to be there. I don't see that making a huge difference. I don't see that being a, an infraction that persists and persists because that's just quite literally not looking at where your feet are, Mm. not knowing where you're physically at on the baseball field. Like you got to be practicing dumb to, to screw that up once we start to get this thing rolling. Um, But the bigger bases, I know there was a lot of talk about whether or not this was going to uh, create more more aggression on the base path, which is something I would love to see. And I know A's fans specifically have been excited about that because A's fans grew up with the man of steel with Ricky Henderson. Right. And they're thinking, are you telling me that the game is now going to have more dudes like that? A part of this game. Like I am all in super excited about that. Haven't seen it turn into a track meet because the bases are now an inch bigger all the way around. That's not the case. I mean, maybe if we have a few less blown ankles because of bang, bang plays at first and Hey, great job. We did our work, but you know, I don't know that we're going to see people threatening blue Brock and Ricky Henderson uh, because the bases are an inch bigger. It, it, overall, it seems like with all this change coming at once, though, saw the stat come out today that game, the average game time is already down about 23 minutes. And it seems like from you know an outsider, from just a general fan of baseball, not someone who lives it, that most of this is designed to speed up the action a little bit, get more balls in play, that type of thing. Do you think overall, the question that gets asked a lot, are, are these good changes for baseball? Is these, are these things that you think help the game in some way or is it just tinkering because they feel like they needed to tinker i i don't know if it's i i that's a phenomenal question because i don't know if it's a combination of the two you're trying to listen to the fans you're trying to evolve with the times and at the same time you're trying to maintain a certain level of integrity with this game and i think that goes across all sport when you start thinking about changes and you know keeping up with the joneses if you will how do we do this without losing sight of who we are and i think what you're going to run into is the understanding of you, you think you're eliminating downtime in the game of baseball but during that quote unquote downtime that is where games within the game are played Because during that quote-unquote downtime, you want to know what's going on, signs are being given and relayed. And if you've been paying attention to baseball at all in the last five years or so, you understand how valuable signs are and communicating signs are. So those little nuances to the game, those things are happening in real time. 
Because the difference between me throwing a 1-1 pitch that turns into a 2-1 count or a 1-1 pitch that turns into a 1-2 count, well, the batting average changes 150 points. The damage they do at the plate increases almost 200 points. So I'm thinking about what pitch I need to make to either get rid of this guy or survive the storm I've just created for myself. And now you're putting all of that thinking on a clock. And so there's there's an adjustment that has to occur with that. Um, but I, I, I think that we are trying to do our level best to attract attention and you do that because we have short attention spans. We're trying to increase that, right? Like it's, there's, I just hope we don't get to a point where we've made so many wholesale changes at one time that we're scrambling and grasping back at what used to be the game we loved. Yeah. It's always the risk that you run, but like you've said, so far, the reception seems positive. It seems like yes. guys are able to make this adjustment. And then you get to turn your attention to all of the baseball. And I am curious, obviously, you're going to be dialed in on the A's, excited for that season. But as you look around Major League Baseball, the Mets and Padres just keep spending money this offseason. We've seen them make a ton of big moves. Speaking of signs, the Astros still look like the dominant force in the American League. So when you look out across baseball, what's the thing you're most excited to see get going in this preseason? I, I think, honestly, it has to be, well, uh, I mean, this is me just, uh, you know, kind of paying attention to my brothers in arms, if you will. But I, I want to see what sort of impact JV and Schurz have together. Like, that that's just going to be an assault on the NL East. I can't wait to see two those are, I mean, you want to talk about two grizzly, salty gunslingers in Scherzer and Burley? Like, buddy, let me tell you, that's going to be that's going to be exciting to watch. Um, again, n- not to mention because of the other underlying storylines with Uncle Stevie and the money he's spending, but that takes the focus for me. And you mentioned it, goalie out west, because as of right now, I believe, I believe Fangraphs has the. Friars, the San Diego dads slated somewhere around 92, 93 wins. I think something like that. I don't think the Dodgers are, are projected to win that many ball games, which means the San Diego Padres are projected to take this division. And I think, I think you've got to be numb if you're not excited about looking at that San Diego Padre lineup, because that thing is daunting. That is a meat and potatoes two through five that you want no part of ladies and gentlemen that right there is for me going to be where my eyes are uh, are centered this summer is the giant not the giants excuse me the dodgers and the padres because i go back to uh what two years ago uh when the the dodgers are playing unbelievable baseball they're beating the pants just beating the brakes off everybody and so are the giants and over a 40 game span 41 game span i believe goalie you want to know how many games were made up in the division? Exactly one. Wow. One. They played baseball for a month plus, and one game was made up. So, uh, Giants not part of that conversation, but the Jesus, what the Padres are doing. They're ridiculous. And then, hey, look, the NL East, right? The Braves, they just keep signing people up for 10 years at a time. Uh, but Trey Turner, the addition out in Philly, like, can he... 
Can he vault that offense? Can he get those guys going? They added Taiwan Walker to that rotation. So I think there's there's storylines smattered all throughout the game of baseball. What does the AL Central look like, frankly? Are the Chicago White Sox going to show up and try to take care of a division one time? Holler at your boy. Minnesota Twins got their guy back. So uh, are they going to make some noise with, with Carlos and, and Buxton? Um, I, I'd love to see Buxton again. Healthy, another MVP caliber year. He's just exciting for baseball. That dude is just fucking electric. E-electric. Love every minute of that guy healthy on a baseball field. Uh, how about the AL East? The Blue Jays, goalie. The mm. Blue Jays. Uh, a guy I slated last year as a potential Cy Young winner did everything he could to make me look like I had never watched baseball a day in my life. That's Jose Barrios. Things get better for him. The Jays could make some noise. The Jays could be banging up in the six. And before you know it, who knows, the Yankees, who I think are, again, expected to do well, I think the Blue Jays are going to ask them to hold their beer. Hey, you get me fired up right now, man. Big year for fathers. Big year for a lot of the new talent that we've seen acquired all over Major League Baseball. It's going to be a blast, and it's all just getting started now. Dallas, know you got a lot going on out in spring training, man, so appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much, and we'll definitely be talking to you as the season goes along. Much love, goalie. Appreciate you, brother. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Brandon, I tried my best to fill in admirably while you were gone, but it's time to hand the keys back to the professional. Do you know what time it is? Hey, Mike, I don't, I, don't set yourself short. You did your thing. You did your thing. And I'm just, you know, keeping it theme today. All right. Thank you, Dallas. It is officially baseball season. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd buy me some peanuts and cracker jack <clears throat> i don't care if i never <laughs> root root for the home team if they don't win it's a shame for it's this that and the third at the old ball game. Did you have to read the lyrics to take me out to the ball game? <laughs> at the end of the day, I have to read the lyrics of all the white songs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if you enjoyed Brandon's <laughs> rendition as we get ready for spring training here, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, go Joe, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review and tell Brandon what a good job he did reading the white song. Uh, Brandon, <laughs> let's get to this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to finish off the day here. Um oh, there was an article on Bleacher Report outlining a bunch of major decisions the NBA had, we had coming up. As we mentioned, fixing the All-Star game pretty low down on the priority list for what they've got going on. And per several sources, one rule that is most likely to pop up next season would enable coaches to keep their challenge if it was successful. But another rule 
that I think is far more interesting is one that we've seen the G League experiment with in overtime. And that is bringing a change to that with the um, defined ending that we've got during these games here. The target score, excuse me. That Elam ending that we've seen used in the All-Star game where instead of just playing for whoever gets the most points, it's, hey, figuring out this is the number you've got to get to and by how many you have to get there. Brandon, I know some people might bristle at this, but much like we talked about with college overtimes and the rules that people tinker around with anyway, a lot of them are done with the health of the players in mind, right? You don't want them going and playing multiple overtimes, having to tax themselves already when we're having load management conversations. I've loved this ending. Every time I have seen a basketball game played with the Elam ending, I have enjoyed the feeling that comes along with that. Heightened intensity, It's that understanding that when you get down to that point, whatever that next shot is, looks like a buzzer beater. And so I'm a big fan of that, especially for just overtime in the regular season where they're talking about using this. Okay, okay. Just overtime in the regular season, I may be able to stomach it, but I don't like it because I love the... What was it? The Syracuse. Uh, I don't forget who they played, but every every game that resets the the mode for longest overtime game is just that little that little special thing that happens. It's like it's one of those like sports um, scoregami things where like I want it to happen, but in the NBA we don't need that. The NBA overtimes are some of the most useless overtimes that are in existence in sports. So, yes, playing to a specific number could be fun and also probably better for the longevity of these players at the end of the day. Uh, According to this article uh, in comparing regular overtime from 2021 and 22 to the target score overtime pre-showcase, the length of overtimes went down from 13 minutes on average to eight and a half. So could have some work there. I would be excited for that. Brandon... Let's get to that. That might be something Washington Commanders fans are excited about. Carson Wentz was released on Monday in a move that they had expected to come. The move saves Washington just over $26 million in the cap this offseason. Wentz had two years remaining on the contract, but no guaranteed money. Um, They had given up a bunch of picks to get him over there last year. The move was a head-scratcher to me then, Brandon. And based on what happened this season, this move felt inevitable. Carson Wentz isn't going to be anyone's starter, at least on purpose, anymore in his NFL career. And so it'll just be, does he become someone that you can trust as a backup, that wants to be a backup at this point in his career? And that we're going to have to wait and see. It's very, very weird what happened with Carson Wentz. And for some reason, I'm still blaming the Colts. I mean, his problems went all the way back to Philadelphia and just the unique set of circumstances there. And over time, how he seemed to sort of regress a little bit. At the end, we always saw flashes with Carson Wentz. The story of Carson Wentz was a lack of consistency between flashes of what looked like a great player, what physically always had the tools to be a great player. But after the 2017 season where the Eagles won the Super Bowl, on Nick Foles in the postseason because you had an insert Carson Wentz coming off the MVP year. Every season after that was pockets of good play followed by inexplicable turnovers and mistakes that ended up hurting the team. Yeah, but I do think that we start, we need to respect the fact that he won a Super Bowl though. Like Super Bowl winning Carson Wentz is something that we don't say enough 
And that team needed him during that regular season. I, I always say I don't think Carson Wentz gets the credit retroactively that he deserves for being a quarterback good enough to get them to that point, playing MVP caliber ball during the regular season. But that photo of him in the commander's letter jacket really is going to age horrifically. <laughs> As it already has, quite frankly. Um, Brandon, let's get to the third. Speaking of something that's aged very well, Sister Jean, who is 103 years old, was out promoting her new book, Wake Up With a Purpose. She went on and talked to Will Reeves, good former friend at ESPN, about her book on Good Morning America. And as part of her appearance on there, they asked her about her now infamous bracket. For anyone that's unfamiliar with Sister Jean, she was the star of the show when Loyola of Chicago made that run in 2018 to the Final Four. She is uh, a sister of the cloth. She is someone who was, I think, the chaplain for that team, more or less, and became mm-hmm. this darling figure, a little old lady who was giving players pointers on the sideline and filling out her bracket, and so became a cult, you know, a, a cultural phenomenon after that. And she went on with Will, and when asked who she think is going to win this year, she said she believes the Kentucky Wildcats will go on to win the men's college basketball bracket. Brandon, how good should Wildcats fans feel about that? I mean, as someone who grew up going to a Catholic high school, that chant God's on our side can hit. So at this point, I think Kentucky can officially say God's on their side. I mean, yeah, at least Sister Jean's uh, God that she prays to is, is on their side. I don't know what she sees in the Kentucky Wildcats. Like, obviously, we don't see the bracket uh, to to know where they where they lie, but you know they're good, but they're still Kentucky at the end of the day. Like Coach Calipari is still going to be coaching that team. Uh, I mean, listen, they've won now four straight games, uh, including baptizing Auburn most recently. They beat uh, Tennessee when they were ranked number 10 coming off their win against Alabama. So they're definitely starting to play better at the right time. I believe they are currently plus 10,000 on DraftKings Sportsbook to win the national championship. So Sister GM would make some coin if she felt like throwing down on that. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm not giving my, I'm not giving her credit for picking a long shot to win it all. That's where I really should just focus my energy on. Uh, listen, man, it's, it sounds like a bit of a hater. Uh, me? A little bit. Hey, no, who? Kentucky or Sister Jean? It sounds like a little bit of both. Sounds like a little bit of both. We'll see if Sister Jean's prediction comes true. We'll get ready for March Madness around here coming up very soon. They just got into the top twenty-five. We appreciate you sticking around with us long enough to hear Brandon slander Sister Jean. If you enjoyed this, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, go Joe, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.